It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. And uh, that is 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, anywhere across the country. If you download the Radio Player Canada app and type in 106.5 ELMNT-FM or 95.7 ELMNT-FM and listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It is our pleasure to welcome our first guest to the show. It is Warren Maybe. He's the director of Queen's, at Queen's Institute for Energy and Environmental Policy at Queen's University. And uh, we're, we're speaking to him today about, uh, you know, one of those things that uh, have come up uh, again and again, uh, having to do with the uh, energy industry, specifically around oil. And Warren wrote an article in the, the uh, conversation and uh, some interesting points to be raised, especially looking south of the border, talking about what might be happening down there um, should an election take place and uh, U.S. Democrat uh, Joe Biden would get in. Um, so, uh, first of all, Warren, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, Alberta oil sands. Oil, uh, of course, uh, being uh, one of the topics that have come up during the COVID-19 situation. Uh, we were entered a, a point where oil went to the negative, uh, which um, became quite an issue there. Uh, things have stabilized to some degree, I guess, now. But, you know, as we look to south of the border, and of course, even just what happened within the last year, around all of this stuff, even here in Canada with, with um, the pipelines and all of those kind of things that are going on and the confusion or, say, the back-and-forth conversation that is going on about about the future of clean energy and, and should we be even looking to oil at this point in time. President Trump has uh, restored the, uh, the pipeline project uh, that was canceled by uh, Biden and, and uh, Barack Obama. But um, that, of course, Biden is saying if he's reelected, he's going to cancel that again. What are the issues that we're looking at uh, around this right now? Well, I think there's a variety of things going on. Uh, first of all, uh, the market for oil, as you were talking about uh, mm. at the beginning there, uh, is so depressed right now. Uh, because people haven't been driving very much for the last few months mm -hmm. uh, as we've gone through our lockdown, uh, you know, tried to flatten the curve on COVID-19, uh, demand for gasoline has evaporated. Gasoline being one of the big products that comes from an oil refinery, one mm -hmm. of the big drivers of that oil industry. So uh, we've certainly seen uh, a hit to the industry in Canada and right around the world. Uh, and you know, that's going to take quite some time to, to uh, kind of evolve and, and, and work its way through. Uh, <clears throat> but we have this added wrinkle <clears throat> in that uh, the Canadian oil market is so reliant on our exports to the United States mm. and, and so reliant on that U.S. market. And the U.S. market has changed dramatically in the last 10 or 15 years. You know, the advent of, of kind of uh, financially viable shale oil production meant that uh, production in the U.S. has grown uh, hugely. They've become the biggest oil producer in the world, essentially. Mm. They are able to meet a lot of their own domestic uh, needs. And <clears throat> partly for that and, and 
partly for environmental reasons, they're looking very hard at oil that's coming in across the border. Uh, we know that uh, you know Joe Biden, as a, as a candidate for the presidency, um, has been involved in in canceling the Keystone XL project once, and, mm-hmm. and he said that he will do it again, uh, and that he would do it on environmental grounds. Mm-hmm. So he's basically saying uh, he wants to focus in on on American oil. Uh, he wants to focus in on other things. We can get into that, uh, and he wants to start to reduce their dependence on those Canadian exports. And we've already seen that change to some degree in the last few months where we've we've had uh, American companies pulling out and, and closing down in Canada. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> there's been an, a trend, uh, a negative trend over the last few years, I would say, of investment firms and funds uh, reducing or are stopping their investments in oil sands projects, uh, sometimes for environmental reasons, sometimes uh, for unstated reasons, you know, they've just decided to step away and and to focus in on other projects. Um, You know, the oil sands do have a reputation of being uh, dirtier oil than, than other forms of oil out there. It's, it's sort of a half-truth in that, uh, yes, oil sands are dirtier than a, a nice conventional oil, you know, like, like what some people picture coming out of the ground in places like Texas. Uh, but oil sands are not really all that much dirtier than, say, shale oil. And shale oil has a whole lot of other environmental impacts. So, uh, you know, I think that what we're seeing uh, from the U.S. is is a shift in where they're investing. Uh, the environment has been a strong rationale for uh, reducing investment in Canada's oil sands, uh, but there is um, a little bit of smoke and mirrors going on in terms of what the real benefits are to moving that money elsewhere. Part of your article does look at the uh, the pollutant levels uh, and and sort of in terms of the oil sands and and can we talk a little bit about that because it is a little confusing when we look at that because some of the numbers don't include transportation and other costs where some of them do. Um, how does that all figure into this? Yeah, so one of the big issues that we have as a society is that. It's actually really hard to work out what the environmental footprint is of, of anything that we use. Mm. You know, um, it's it's an evolving science. It's something that uh, you know really didn't exist 25 or 30 years ago. Mm. We we really didn't have a good way of assessing those environmental impacts. We're at a point now where we have a pretty good idea of what's going on, but the science continues to be refined. Uh, and so in the article that I wrote that, that we're talking about, that was published in the conversation, uh, there was certainly uh, a range of data presented. And like you say, sometimes we incorporated uh, transport numbers because that's what the studies did, and sometimes we didn't. And uh, so just looking at pure production, you know, just looking at uh, the impact of um, taking oil out of the ground and, 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 and doing things, uh, the numbers tend to be lower than when you're incorporating those transport numbers as well. 
what we can say, <laughs> I know I'm not kind of dancing around it a little bit, the impacts that are associated with the oil sands production are typically higher than the impacts associated with conventional oil production. And that's the comparison that a lot of people focus in on, you know, that the conventional oil is a lot cleaner than oil sands oil. But what a lot of people seem to not understand is that the dominant forms of oil out there today are unconventional. They're shale, they're sand, they're offshore types of oil, they're different kinds of, of oil production and figuring out those footprints is really complicated. Mm. And, and as you say, uh, Biden is saying that, the, and as you pointed out, um, the U.S. doesn't need our oil so much anymore. How do you think and why do you think then that Canada, uh, given the fact that we've seen some, you know, as you mentioned, some of the investment be pulling out and, and wanting to look, people wanting to look to cleaner energy sources, um, why, why then do we, we push more for this instead of wanting to ourselves start to be proactive uh, and looking to, to other forms of energy? Well, um, I do get the sense in Canada that a lot of producers uh, and indeed a lot of, of Canadians uh, feel that uh, we are unfairly discriminated against in terms of the oil that we're producing, the product we're producing, uh, by places like the U.S., you know, uh, that's a bit of what I'm trying to get at. You know, the oil, the U.S. Um, oil industry has a lot of environmental impacts that are also highly negative. Mm. It's not really all that much dirtier to to reach out and take oil from Canada, but but the U.S. uses that as an argument mm -hmm. to say they don't need that oil. Mm -hmm. Uh, the U.S. has grown their industry dramatically, and that's that's really why uh, the U.S. Uh, can do this. Is that you know they almost quadrupled the size of their production uh, from uh, 2010 until today. So over a decade, they've really expanded the amount of oil that's produced within the U.S. It's completely changed the landscape not just for Canada, but for the OPEC nations and, and for other nations around the world. This is a big change in the way that things are going. And then, you know, the last thing is, is that the U.S. continues to invest in clean tech, uh, whether we're talking about solar or wind, uh, you know, cleaner forms of producing electricity, or about things like biofuels. You know, the U.S. has been a big investor in the biofuel sector uh, and those sectors continue to grow. Um, in fact, it was just last month that uh, the U.S. reported that clean energy, green electricity, is now bigger than coal. You know, they're, they're mm. producing more green electricity than coal, which is a major milestone in that kind of transition. Oh. So uh, I think that what, what Mr. Biden is talking about is both the fact that U.S. production has gone up so much uh, and that they're continuing this transition towards a cleaner form of energy, both of which means they need less of the Canadian supply. Right. Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. I'm going to just jump in and let everyone know you're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That is 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa, and anywhere across the country if you download the Radio Player Canada app. 
Uh, and my guest this morning is uh, uh, Warren Maybe. He's the director of Queen's Institute for Energy and Environmental Policy at Queen's University. And we we're talking to him about an article that's uh, published in the, the conversation that he wrote about oil, uh, about looking at uh, uh, what's happening south of the border, uh, and uh, also within the COVID-19 situation, what we're looking at as we come out of this. Uh, we, should, we should talk a little bit about that, uh, Warren, as well. But just to go back about how things have changed, and, and I guess I'm, 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 I don't know if you have a sense of, or give us a sense of this, but did Canada not see what was going on south of the border with the United States in terms of it becoming more and more of a, of a, of a producer of its own oil so that it had less, less demand uh, for Canadian uh, product? And then, you know, seeing, this, as we just said, about the, the drawback of investors as well as uh, companies pulling out uh, and Canada making this, um, you know, this big purchase, uh, again, with, with pipelines and, and, and oil, um, especially as, as the world is looking more for, for greener uh, energy sources as well. Um, and now uh, Joe Biden saying if he is elected, he will cancel the, uh, the Keystone XL pipeline once again. So um, where does that leave us at this point in time, do you think, and, and those invested in, in oil? Well, you asked if, if we didn't see this sort of coming. And I, and I think that uh, the answer to that is a bit complicated. I think lots of people have seen this trend happening and you know have been talking about uh, the need for us to diversify or to rethink our strategy around uh, fossil energy, petroleum energy versus renewable energy. Uh, as you know, that argument has become so politicized mm. with, um, you know, people on the right kind of standing up for the fossil industry and people on the left standing up for renewables. And really, you know, I wish we could get a bit past that. Mm. Uh, we all need energy. <laughs> we all need to, um, uh, you know, have the power uh, or the fuel that we need to get to work or to heat our homes or to do all those things. Fossil energy is a big part of that right now. Uh, I do think that the role of fossil energy is going to go down over time. And I think that the industries themselves need to see that coming. You know, uh, Wayne Gretzky is always famous for saying, know where the puck is going, not where it's been. Yeah. You know, and go to where the puck is going. Right. So we need to get our industry to where that puck is going. And, uh, you know, just uh, last week, or maybe it was this week, um, the CEO of Suncor said that he thinks that electric vehicles could be just as disruptive to uh, the oil and gas sector as, as COVID has been. You know, mm. that electric mm. vehicles could lead to a real uh, change in, in what's going on. And that's recognition that uh, these technologies are coming and that there are going to be big structural changes to the fossil energy sector. Now, one thing I will say is that changing the fossil energy sector doesn't mean that those resources disappear and it doesn't mean that we necessarily stop using them. You know, oil is valuable for a whole variety of purposes. Right. Uh, we're probably going to need uh, oil to some degree, maybe forever. But I think that more and more of the things that we'll do with oil will be durable applications. Uh, plastics where we want plastics, mm. not not in the oceans, mm. not uh, microplastics accumulating in the environment, but 
uh, the the materials that we build with and that we build our our um, appliances and and our electronics and things out of uh, <clears throat> we're going to need other chemicals that we can pull from uh, these fossil resources that can be recycled in industrial processes there's going to be real high value applications associated with that resource but that to me is what the future is the past has been burning this stuff that we mm. pull out of the ground which is sort of what the industry is all about right now and and we need to move on and to think about those other things that's where i think that the two sides the left and right can kind of come together and maybe see uh, a shared future yeah i guess the as you were talking there, I was thinking about the that proactive versus reactive kind of uh, situation. It seems that the states, and and rightfully so for their their own purposes, has been proactive in you know growing its own oil industry, as we were just mentioning, um, and so that has. Uh, left us uh, to some degree uh, in the situation we're in now. And especially as you point out uh, in your article that uh, Biden uh, is looking to transition away from fossil fuels, partly because of what you said, the, the, the greenhouse emissions. But they are looking at this Green New Deal, um, which encompasses a few things. That's right. Yeah, the Green New Deal, um, this idea that by actively pursuing this green economy that we can create new jobs that we can uh, create new prosperity that we incorporate a whole lot of other factors that really have nothing to do with green energy but are all about uh, high quality of life you know healthcare and minimum guaranteed incomes all those sorts of things i think that there's a lot of tremendous elements in there that that we should be looking at um, and of course, like everything else, the Green New Deal is highly politicized. It is being championed on the left. Uh, those on the right say, well, we can't afford it. You know, it's too disruptive. Um, we do need to find a middle ground. But, you know, I would note that even under President Trump, who is clearly situated on the right, is clearly a supporter of fossil industries, um, coal and oil, uh, we have seen a real transition away from the coal-fired industry into renewables. And that transition, I think, will continue and it will impact the oil industry. And, you know, the smart people on both sides of the equation see that that is happening and see that the technologies are moving us in a certain direction. It's figuring out where we want to get to and then steering us towards that goal. Right. Um, you know, again, uh, when you were talking about plastics and, and the, the production that we, we use oil for for many things, and I don't know if you can answer this question. It just popped into my head as, as you were talking there. Um, you know, renewables and, and uh, is, is there a way to actually reverse process so that it doesn't sit around for hundreds and hundreds of years without, you know, decaying? Yeah, and the, the quick answer is absolutely it's possible. Um, you probably know there are many different kinds of plastic out there, mm. uh, many different grades. You know, if you are doing your recycling, you can look on the packages and you'll see different mm -hmm. numbers inside that recycling symbol, which tell you what kind of plastic it is that you're dealing with. Mm. One of the problems that we have as a society is that 
Uh, we tend to mix and match all kinds of different plastics and other materials in our packaging uh, and in our applications, which makes it really, really difficult to recycle. And mm. you know, the example that I always give is uh, a coffee cup. A coffee cup comes with um, some kind of uh, wax coated, you know, sort of a cup, which is paper, but it's got a lot of other polymers added to mm-hmm. it to make it waterproof or, or liquid proof. It's often got a paper sleeve, which is just cardboard. It's got a plastic lid, which may or may not be a biodegradable plastic. Mm. And if you really want to do the job right of recycling, you've got to separate those things out right. when you get to the uh, get to the trash cans or get to the recycling station. And a lot of people don't. Mm. You know, why can't we be smarter about how we make our packaging, how we build these applications? to make it easier to recycle at the end. Because mm. the, the quick answer to your question, like I say, is of course we can recycle these plastics. Um, some plastics are easier to recycle than others, but in almost every case, what you need is a homogenous batch of plastic going into the plant to be recycled to make it effective and, and cost-effective. Mm. And Often we don't have that because we mix and match so many different things in, in what we do. Right. Uh, Warren, as we look to the, you know things being lifted in COVID-19, things getting somewhat back to normal, there is going to be changes. Uh, there's a lot of talk about people uh, working more from home. Uh, you know, using home as the office, not uh, going into uh, maybe have as many of those traffic jams we, we had and, and sitting for a couple of hours, you know, in traffic with all these these cars uh, spewing out uh, f- exhaust fumes. Um, that's going to, uh, as you mentioned, affect things in the future in terms of oil consumption and, and, and fuel consumption and those kind of things. What what do you think that uh, realistically, you know, as we we come out of this, that there will be a resurge with with the use of fossil fuels as as that kicks in? But you know, I keep hearing different stories about how this might roll out. Uh, you know, it's like uh, once the once the, the 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 it's lifted completely. You know, there's might might be this this wonderful surge of people wanting to travel, people wanting to do these things. But then they say, yeah, it'll probably last for about two weeks, and then things go back to normal. Um, so, what do you think when everything settles down, this might look like? This is uh, a tremendous question, and and I can really only speculate, but. Like you say, there's a few different uh, likely scenarios. One is that we see people working from home more often. You know, uh, maybe we see the increase in work from home go up by 20% or 30%. Mm. And that takes people off the roads. It takes them out of transit systems. Um, It changes their footprint because, of course, they'll be using more power at home. Right. uh, But they will be not traveling back and forth to an office. And you know, that, that could have some positive impacts when you do the net sum of, of all your gains. Mm. Um, there's another scenario, which is that people do go back to work. Uh, you know, they're eager to get out of the house and, and to get back into their offices or back into their places of work. But they're not comfortable taking public transit because they're concerned mm. about being packed in with others, mm. you know, the transmission of disease, mm. um, and that we see an upsurge in the amount of commuters driving their cars back and forth. And mm. uh, I think that 
there will be a degree of that, you know, more people driving. Uh, hopefully it's countered by more people staying at home so mm. that the overall number of cars on the road doesn't go up. Uh, hopefully we can see a slight decrease. Mm. We almost certainly will have to see a rethink in our transit systems. Uh, now, how long people will feel uncomfortable about getting back into a transit system? You know, will it be a year or two years? Can um, the organizations like the, the TTC or OC Transpo or whoever, can they make it through that long? You know, how much mm. of a bailout will they require before they start to get their ridership back? Mm. These are really important questions because they all speak to our footprint. And so much of our footprint is associated with how we've designed our cities, how we design our lives. You know, the idea that we live in a certain place, we travel to get to where we work, which tends to be clustered. Uh, and then we travel back home at the end of the day, creating these pinch points. Mm. We do have, this is a, a, a opportunity. It's a window of opportunity to rethink that and to entrench it. And, you know, some really forward looking companies like Shopify are, are moving on it and mm -hmm. saying, okay, yeah, we're actually going to build a work from home mentality and we're going to use our offices, but we're going to use them for, uh, you know, kind of temporary housing of groups that need to come together mm -hmm. and then can disperse again. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess the other thing is speaking of public transit, uh, much like any other form of transit where people come together, whether that be uh, uh, planes or trains, that those kind of things are, are and we've heard this uh, again, where things are reopening, but, but you know, at 50% capacity, maybe that's something that public transit will do. And maybe that will lead to maybe a shift in um, how how hours are, are structured at the office. You know, maybe people will have staggered office hours so that we won't have everyone going in at the same time and, and alleviate that, uh, you know, that, that uh, or help with that 50% capacity that we're going to probably going to be seeing uh, brought in, I'm, I'm guessing, as, as we have in other areas. Yeah, I mean, I think that having staggered hours makes so much sense. Cities have tried to implement this before. It's really hard for a mayor to say, I want uh, half the banks to start at eight and the other half to start at 10. Mm. You know, uh, the banks don't want to hear it because the <laughs> banks want everybody to be able to meet at whatever hour they need to meet. Right. Uh, but now maybe the banks will say, yep, we need to stagger things out. Mm. Uh, we're going to have uh, these groups come in at 10, these groups come in at eight, these groups come in at noon in order to be able to take advantage of the subways and, and the buses. You know, the other thing is, is that it might be a much more pleasant experience riding the subways and the buses if they're not crammed full. <laughs> and maybe people will start to enjoy it more. You know, so there's so many unknowns as we build out and uh, so many opportunities, like I say, I think this is a great uh, chance to rethink how we do things. <laughs> Do you really think people might enjoy that that more if they can actually sit down on their way to work and standing for an hour? And <laughs> I think I, you, I think so. <laughs> I think you might be right, Warren. It's been a pleasure speaking with you today, and and we really appreciate you taking the time to join us and talk about this. I appreciate being here. Thanks very much. You're very welcome, Warren. Maybe he's the director of Queen's Institute for Energy and Environmental Policy at Queen's University. And that's this part of the show. Please don't go anywhere because we're going to be right back with more right here on Moment of Truth and Element FM right after this. 
Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You are listening to Element FM in Ottawa and Toronto. That's 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto. And anywhere across the country, if you download the Radio Player Canada app and type in 95.7 E-L-M-N-T-F-M or 106.5 E-L-M-N-T-F-M and listen on your device of choice, as I say, anywhere across the country, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I'd like to welcome uh, my next two guests to the show today. We have with us Gabriela Jimenez and uh, Crystal Desolais, and they are from Keros. I want to welcome both of you to the show, by the way, and we, it's a pleasure to have you both here. And uh, we're here to talk about uh, Keros and, and the things that it is doing specifically in the month of June. And it is the month of June, June just starting. And uh, so uh, you have some, some very special things coming up. You're calling June Indigenous Women's Month. And um, you have a, a few things going on. So we'd like to welcome you both to the show. Thank you, David. Thank you, David. Uh, Good to be back. <laughs> you're, you're welcome. It's nice to have you back. Crystal, you are uh, the Indigenous Rights Program Coordinator, and you are uh, driving um, this initiative. Uh, Gabriella, uh, you're the Latin American Partnerships Coordinator. So um, can you, who would like to start with, with telling us what, what's happening? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll kick off, David. Just like you mentioned, um, I, I had the idea to, uh, and, and the wherewithal within the organization to really uh, look at Indigenous women for the month of June, uh, recognizing um, the connections that so many uh, Indigenous uh, women have with uh, the earth around this time of the year annually. Mm. It is uh, solstice. It's a very... Mm important time through ceremony and culture and I wanted as an indigenous person to bring a little bit of that to my work in Kairos and also to really help uh, bring together some of the different um, initiatives that are happening this month that all seem to kind of culminate in this beautiful storm so we're really really excited about bringing it out for everyone and it's been a lot of a lot of months of hard work and it's still ongoing but it's uh, it's a really amazing um, chance to to spotlight Indigenous women and uh, and what's going on in Canada right now. Mm. You know, not to not to break away from this too much, but certainly uh, it it highlights, I think, uh, the importance of what you're doing, just from what we're seeing happening around the globe, and and in particular what we're seeing south of the border. Um, with rights and uh, just the way rights are being stepped on and people li- people's lives are being taken, uh, it, it's it's a very very unfortunate and unsettling um, time right now. Even even on top of this COVID nineteen situation we find ourselves in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, you know, not just south of the border as well. Uh, we're looking at this as really just. Uh, a problem in in global society and and Canada is certainly not immune there mm. um, yeah I uh, very excited to be um, just having this opportunity to speak a little bit about what we're doing in this time 
um, particularly with with what's happening, like you mentioned. You know, uh, and one of the things you're doing um, is focusing on, I guess, uh, when the the 12 year anniversary of Truth and Reconciliation. Yeah, so a lot of that piece is really um, kind of reanimating. Uh, this whole month is really mm. a, a, a lot of very important anniversaries. Mm. Uh, you know, from the founding of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, the release of the calls, mm-hmm. um, the the release of the apology, and mm. also the very first uh, anniversary, one year since the calls to justice around missing and murdered. Mm. So um, it, it was hard to really focus on one particular anniversary because, you know, it is that intersectional piece. It is that socially interwoven systemic thing that it you know nothing is a standalone issue they're all connected in their own ways uh, but the the theme continues to present itself that indigenous women are are constantly impacted and and feeling those those effects a lot differently um, mm. yeah now um uh, gabriella can you tell us something about the the mother earth resource extraction uh, women Defending Land and Water, or MIR Hub, as it's uh, known for short term. Yes, thank you, David. Um, as some of your listeners may remember, um, I came on your show, I, I think it was in, in December, to talk about the launch of, of MIR Hub, Mother Earth and uh, Resource Extraction, Women Defending Land and Water. And we came on the show initially to talk about the launch of, of a MIR Hub because at first it was focusing on Latin America and the gender mm-hmm. impacts of resource extraction, women mm-hmm. land defenders across the Americas or, or, or in Latin America. And now we're gonna, we're set, we're about to launch in, in the middle of Indigenous Women's Month at Kairos, the Canadian face of Mayor Hub. And that means that we are in the stages, uh, last stages of uploading information, resources such as links to, to maps, uh, toolkits, guides on land defense, on the protection of, of land and water, on mining concessions, on uh, uh, land grabs, things of that matter um, all over the world, but uh, focusing now on Canada um, to to support uh, Indigenous women land defenders. Mm. Um, now, one of the things that, uh, that you guys have pointed out is that uh, during this uh, pandemic, there's been a rise in gender-based violence, um, specifically, I guess, targeting uh, women. Um, what can you guys tell us about that? Well, we've seen across the globe, um, everywhere from from you know Canada uh, and to the U.S. to to, to Colombia, where I sort of focus some of my work, is that now that uh, most of the world's global population has to stay indoors. We're seeing that uh, women and children are not safe at home, and there have been rises in in gender-based violence, as you mentioned, uh, physical assaults, uh, sexual assaults, psychological assaults, and there is very little uh, that is being done to protect these women and children. So now we're we're seeing what was already happening behind closed doors being exacerbated by this pandemic, and especially now that, that people don't feel safe seeking uh, resources uh, being outside of their homes. Mm. Um, yeah, I guess we have heard something about that in terms of, uh, in general, uh, I, I do remember hearing some stories about 
you know, that that, that was a concern that that might happen uh, during this, this pandemic situation. Um, can, you, can you tell us a little more about some of the other things that are going to be going on or that you'll be focusing on this month? Well, I'll just um, touch quickly on a moment the, that we've been really fortunate to have a lot of um, community engagement and a lot of um, connection building with Indigenous women in Canada this year. And because of that, we're able to profile some really good works that are going on and not necessarily work that's being driven by a specific job or anything, but more uh, the calls that Indigenous women are feeling to serve their community and what that looks like in different ways. And, you know, one of my favorite quotes, uh, which is unsourced and unknown who, who the source is, uh, you know, Native spirit will be strong until the last woman is down. Mm. And that's something that really uh, it kind of, you know, came to me with with this work of preparing for this month and a lot of um, what inspired the month itself is that mare hub right in the center. Um, it is about drawing together the stories, drawing together the stories this week uh, from the residential school legacy, missing and murdered, and how those things in, like, have affected intergenerationally, but also how it still continues to impact us um, through things like children who were lost to the schools or to the times, uh, different things like that. So some of the, the profiles uh, bring all of these themes together, whether they're child welfare survivors, advocates, authors of memoirs, where they've shared those experiences, people working in health, people working in education, um, people working through the arts and through, uh, you know, grassroots movements and how, how that really connects to, you know, we need to start drawing connections. I think it's important to land defense and how, and let's trace back, how are we still defending the land back to reconciliation? You know, if that, if those pieces, if there was important parts in place where, you know, maybe they hadn't been derailed all that time ago, would mm. we still be fighting for, for land defense? Mm. And, you know, so we ask some folks to engage with some of this type of thought and not uh, long after the Mayor Hub launch week, we do have a great focus on a really exciting campaign called uh, Ravens Messengers of Change. And that's the whole hashtag. Sorry, folks. It's a really long one. <laughs> and uh, it's about furthering that education and that work on reconciliation. So it's, it's a whole new um, initiative meant to follow up. Uh, for folks from the, who've experienced the Kairos Blanket exercise, but also for folks who have worked with the Legacy of Hope or have maybe seen some of the resources, very, very much uh, education-centered. And that's the legacyofhope.ca where the, the new resource for Raven's Messengers of Change will be uh, released first. Any, any time now. Mm. Keep an eye out. Okay. Great. <laughs> and in addition to all of that, we also have the Mother Earth and Resource Extraction webinar series. So we have a series of four webinars all on women, women land defenders. We had the first one this past uh, Friday. The second one takes place on June 2nd. Then we have uh, two the week of, we, the, the week of uh, June 15th, one on June 16th, and another one on June 18th. And people can visit 
the uh, facebook.com slash Merhub, M-E-R-E-W-H-U-B, Merhub, or kairoscanada.org slash events to find out more information and to register. So there is a ton going on at Kairos, a lot of activities, um, some of which uh, Crystal mentioned in, in the whole Merhub launch in the webinar series. All right. Okay. Um... I'm just going to uh, talk a little bit about Keras, uh, just to give people a little bit of a background um, about the organization. It's a joint venture ecumenical program administered by the United Church of Canada. Ten participating member uh, de denominations and religious organizations involved in the development and delivery of uh, th their shared work. Uh, charitable donations can be made to uh, Keras program, and uh, the United Church Charitable Organization uh, there's a registration number you can you can donate through as well, and um, I, I just you know you talked about engagement, and I'm just wondering um, now under under this situation of COVID-19, um, you mentioned uh, webinars that are that are taking place, but how uh, how how does this work across the country? How are people engaging? Um, is it uh, just through a national? Uh, or is it localized, localized and, and break down like provincially? Or how does that all work? Uh, well, basically, um, Kairos, the network itself, there are several circles that are uh, made up of some of these, these member uh, organizations that you mentioned, mm -hmm. um, these 10 different uh, ecumenical bodies. But they're also um, engaged with uh, different community members who... Uh, you know, takes take seats on these different circles. Mm. And Kairos is kind of like this really interesting organism and there's all kinds of um, wheels of, of uh, activity. But um, there's, I think within each program, we all have very different ways that we're engaging with uh, communities nationwide. Um, for some of us, that's supporting other organizations um, others, we, you know, like Gabby mentioned, we have these really neat uh, webinars and different Zoom meetings. Uh, you know, like a lot of folks, we're on Zoom. Um, we're on Zoom, we're on social media, we're doing all kinds of different um, uh, initiatives. And, the, of course, the balance is trying to, uh, to find a place in, in all the other uh, online spaces today in light of COVID. But uh, at the same time, we're really uh, fortunate to benefit from this kind of established, uh, you know, listservs and cool, cool grassroots things that, mm. uh, you know, are always in motion behind the scenes. And that's how we, we gather around doing uh, work like for Undrip and getting those sorts of pieces in place. Um, yeah, I, like I said, I think everyone's uh, within like Gabby's program and my program are very different how, um, and, and all the other programs that Kairos runs, uh, everybody's got a <laughs> different way of doing things right now. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to jump in and let everyone know that you're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That's 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, and anywhere across the country if you download the Radio Player Canada app and type in 95.7 ELMNTFM or 106.5 ELMNTFM and listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And uh, we are speaking with uh, two people from the, the Keros organization, Crystal 
Desolais, and she is the Indigenous Rights Program Coordinator, as well as Gabriela Jimenez, and she is the Kairos Latin American Partnerships Coordinator. And it's a pleasure to have them both on the show and uh, welcome them back as well. And um, we're talking about what they are doing through the month of June specifically because they are uh, specifically focusing it and calling it the uh, Indigenous Women's Month. Um, now, they've had they've got a number of things going on. Uh, one of the things is that focusing on the, the 12-year anniversary of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission founding in uh, June 2nd of 2008, and then uh, followed by the one-year anniversary of the release of the final report of the National Inquiry into Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls. And then from uh, June 15th to the 21st, they, they're launching the Canadian phase of Mother Earth and Resource Extraction, Women Defending Land and Water, or MIR, uh, hub uh, and um, and Gabriella coordinates that. Um, Gabriella, is that when you say a hub, um, is it is this is it a, it's a specific location that it's taking place in? Um, no, the hub is digital. It's completely online and it's a completely free of use. It's just a, a it's a hub. It's a, okay. a repository of, of information that mm -hmm. anyone can access. But the primary audience is uh, women, women land defenders, those who are experiencing the gendered impacts of resource extraction. Mm -hmm. It's a living hub, which means that we're constantly adding information when we when we find out that there's certain, say, um, publications out or certain websites or when certain websites or maps are published and made available online, what we do is we compile them and we put them all. Uh, we organize them around different banners, such as, um, for example, what are the, what are the rights that the human rights defenders have? So we'll post all the different uh, documents, uh, published documents by 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 entities such as like the United Nations that say, or frontline defenders who say, these are all the rights that the people who protect the land um, have uh, across the globe in Canada. And so we, it's one centralized online location that people can come to, to get information, to learn more about the topic, to see how they can get involved on the issue of land defense. Because what we've seen across the globe and in Canada in, in recent months is how um, land defenders are criminalized for seeking to protect the land, for seeking to protect Mother Earth against corporate interests. It's what we're seeing on the ground these last few days, right? Mm -hmm. People, uh, um, indigenous people, Afro-indigenous people, other people of color who are saying, you know, this, this, the status quo has to stop. There are other alternatives uh, to protect Mother Earth, to protect human and, and non-human life. And, and that's what we're trying to, to center the people who are, are really trying to, to, to protect Mother Earth and, and life as we know it. Mm. Um, so for people that are interested and want to get involved or find out more, they can go to your, they can go to your website, of course, and uh, that is, that is uh, kairoscanada.org, and I'll spell that. It's K-A-I-R-O-S-Canada.org. And um, when people go there... Um, what what can they expect to find and if they're you know to to manipulate and 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 find their way through the the information that is gathered there for them as you mentioned you've got a, a bunch of things happening um uh, simultaneously um not only your own or your own projects but others are going on as well yes if people visit the website there's a the first homepage the landing page has a few banners of some of the that the more topical uh, activities and events that are happening you can click there and the website is uh, updated constantly and it 
you can click on all the different posts that have been posted. You can also visit Cairo's uh, Facebook and, and social other social media accounts like Twitter and Instagram where everything's constantly being updated. So yeah, it's uh, just, just keep an eye out on what's going on. And if you kind of follow the, the different uh, website and social media accounts, you'll, you'll find out everything that's going on. We're, we're pretty good about promotion. Hmm. Um, speaking of promotion, um, for someone that is not familiar with your organization, um, and they were, I guess what I'm saying is, what are, what are what are things you're hearing or that you've heard from people who come to your site or get involved with programs that they're surprised about or they are they were um, uh, they didn't know that your organization was offering? I think that, you know, to begin with, Kairos works in four, like, programmatic areas. So indigenous rights, ecological justice, gender justice, and migrant justice. So there's, you know, those four areas. But within those areas, there's a lot of intersection, right? Because a lot of us, we we coordinate, we collaborate. For example, the topic of women land defenders is not Mm. just an ecological justice issue. It's an indigenous rights issue. And it's very, very much a gender justice issue. Um, and so we, we collaborate often. What people might not know is that Kairos is a, has, you know, regional networks across the, the country and there's people involved all over Canada, but uh, Kairos also partners with organizations across the globe. So in Latin America and Africa and in, in Israel, Palestine and in, in uh, East Asia. So there's the sort of national component, but there's also the international component. And Kairos often likes to bring everything together to see how things intersect and are interwoven and are interlinked. Hmm. Now, with this being a sort of, uh, you know, the United Church is mentioned with the organization. How, how would you say the church... Uh, is is bridging this with the indigenous uh, knowledge, the indigenous, you know, especially in terms of land, protecting land. Um, would you say that there's been a, a change or a, a different approach that the church has taken in terms of, of looking at indigenous knowledge, indigenous uh, um, uh, culture, uh, the attachment to land? How would you how would you say that? if I'm making myself clear about uh, the church? Well, I, th- I mean, I think it, it's hard for us as, as program coordinators to really speak to the mm. United Church just because uh, we don't work within the United Church personally. Mm. We're, mm. Um, you know, someone from the, that group might be able to better answer mm. your question from the inside for sure. Right. Um, but I think, What's really interesting and and something I've noted as Indigenous rights program person is that um, a lot of the churches are making kind of these moves towards building up uh, their capacity for reparations. Mm. And that's something that's interesting and taking different forms Uh, for some, uh, most churches have healing funds that uh, are accessible to Indigenous peoples. Um, and I'm, I'm learning now about um, offices or specific positions designated within different groups that are looking and asking about land reparations and returns and things like that. So, um, again, can't really specifically address your question, but I think overall there is some interesting movements happening. And, you know, Kairos in particular is 
you know, is a voice, uh, a, a unified voice and direction from mm. these these uh, organizations. But um, you know, it, it's great because for myself and and for um, you know, I'll say for Gabriella as well, we get to work in areas that are really important to us. And you know, even just uh, if you're on that KairosCanada.org website. Uh, you know, there's still time to sign up for a women resisting extractivism mm. uh, event on the website. So there's there's really interesting discussions rising up because um, because of Kairos. So that's mm. that's pretty special. Mm. Mm, I appreciate that. Um, just wondering if there's anything else uh, as we we round up the the conversation that we haven't touched on that you guys feel is important to mention. Well, I will say that um, just touching quickly again on the uh, the Kairos um, kind of offering of this special Ravens Messengers of Change. Mm. This was a initiative created in partnership with the Legacy of Hope, and we're very excited to kind of wind the month down a little bit with that particular piece. Uh, the as I mentioned before, LegacyofHope.ca will be the host for the uh, the the first uh, the first place to get the document the this awesome educational activity book it's very engaging I would love to uh, just really touch on my my gratitude for the artist the Anishinaabekwe uh, wonderful woman her name is Mariah Landers and she is an Algonquin uh, in the Ottawa region. Uh, who's also a very talented artist, tattooist, and she designed the images and artistry. Mm. And, I, and, I've, and uh, I'm sure Gabby will have a, a quick follow-up to this piece, but uh, thank you so much to Mariah Landers, who has done the artwork for this Raven's Messengers of Change mm. campaign. Mm. Um, and Kairos will have that offering at uh, their newer website, kairosblanketexercise.org. So we are all linked in, of course, with the Kairos Canada website. But uh, that, that's where we'll have the Ravens Messengers of Change campaign. Great. And uh, really, again, just wanting to thank the artists that we've been able to work with this month. Right. Nice. Okay. Uh, Gabriella, anything to add on that front? Just with the launch of the Canadian phase of, of Mayor Hub, what we really want to do, particularly since the, the first phase focused on Latin America, is draw these connections between what is happening uh, abroad and in places like Guatemala, where these Canadian extractive companies are coming in and, and, and dispossessing and displacing, displacing and, and, and really um, harming Indigenous communities is, is not very different from what's going on within the, the borders of, of this so-called country, this so-called country of, of Canada. And so we want to make those connections and we hope people visit Mayor Hub and they think about uh, the grander scheme of things of how things are, are interconnected. And, and to plug up the artists too, we also commissioned um, an artist who did the original uh, illustration for Mayor Hub and the logo to do uh, work for this Canadian face. And she did beautiful, uh, two beautiful illustrations, one showing how the state of Canada um, is extracting not only from Latin America, but also from, from Canada. And uh, she also did an, an image showing um, uh, centering women land defenders and in linking and showing us how resource extraction is connected to missing and murdered indigenous women girls, women and girls and two-spirit individuals here. So her, her name, or she goes by La Suerte, uh, which translates into the luck, but her name is Sofia Acosta. We'll be plugging her up in the uh, Mayor Hub social media account soon. So also uh, keep an eye out for that. 
And yes, uh, thank you for having us, David. It's always great to be on your show. Well, thank you both for joining us. Just before we go, you mentioned a couple of uh, women there, and I'm just wondering uh, quickly, are there any other women that, that come to mind for you that uh, they, you'll be particularly highlighting through this month? That's really hard to say. I feel okay. like we have just worked really hard to uh, to, to try and <laughs> center and raise up as many voices as possible. Great. Uh, so, you know, everyone's just going to have to come and check out who they are. All right. Sounds good. Well, again, thank you both for joining us here on the show, and it's a pleasure, and we look forward to having you back again next time. Miigwech, David. Oh, Jimmy Gwetch. Thank you very much. Okay, and that are, they are the voices of uh, Gabriela Jimenez, and she is the uh, Kairos Latin American Partnerships Coordinator, as well as Crystal Desolais, and she is the uh, Kairos Indigenous Rights Program Coordinator. And it's a pleasure to have them both on talking about uh, Kairos and the things that they're doing specifically through the month, month of June, highlighting women, focusing on women, and calling it Indigenous Women's Month. Go check out the Kairos website at kairoscanada.org and you can find out all the things that they're doing and they're focusing on and that, that uh, we've been talking about here today and much, much more. That's the show for today. We want to thank you, our listeners, for uh, tuning in and we'll see you next time here on Moment of Truth and Element FM. Until then, thank you very much for listening. This has been Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM.